Good morning, everyone. Okay, so um, got some jokes. Um, so I feel especially qualified to talk about suffering and the book of Job because I was Fred Mock's youth intern for three years. <laughs> got jokes. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, um, I, I do not feel qualified to speak on the book of Job. And honestly, it's kind of mean of Fred to do this to me because I'm just a guest speaker. And so uh, the, last, the last couple of weeks uh, in our, at our church, I go to a church named uh, Chinese Church in Christ South Valley. So it's a Chinese immigrant church. And in our young adult group, which I'm one of the pastors of, we were going through a series on technology, okay? So the last couple of weeks, we did kind of a discussion on online dating and dating apps. And then last week, last Wednesday, we talked about singleness. And so I was literally switching between what does the Bible say about online dating and dating apps and singleness to the most profound questions about suffering, disappointment with God in the book of Job. And the other thing I want to say is I, I'm not that old. I haven't gone through that much suffering. And so when I look at uh, some of you people who are um, more advanced in years than me, I, I, feel, uh, I feel like inadequate in some ways to talk to you about suffering because my life has had relatively not that much suffering. Uh, but I think the, the timing of God is, is very appropriate, uh, especially in the last few, uh, in the last year, honestly, um, I think that I have experienced um, a taste of suffering and disappointment and hardship with God that I want to share with you, and I think that can help me um, connect to the book of Job. So I'll, I'll just share a little bit with, about that with you uh, when we get into it. The other thing I should say is I should introduce myself a little bit. Uh, you probably read my bio. Fred Mock was my pastor uh, and my boss for three years, uh, but I, I knew him a lot growing up. Uh, Fred the Gator is my father. Like, so, uh, I don't know if everyone, he's like a large white guy. Um, I am, I have a large white guy as a father and a very small petite uh, Taiwanese immigrant lady as my mother. Um, and Fred the Gator, uh, so F Fred the Gator is like, I don't know, n uh, back in the day, we would always call my dad Fred, and we'd call Fred Mock Freddy. Uh, but now apparently it's Fred and Fred the Gator. So uh, let me go ahead and pray for us. Um, and you guys could pray for me as I preach, uh, because this is a heavy topic. So I just want to kind of like set our expectations and be kind of like sober-minded and serious as we get into this. Um, so not too many more jokes. Uh, let me pray. Uh, dear Lord, uh, I pray, Lord, that your healing hand, your comforting hand, would be here ministering to us as we uh, think through such incredible tragedy and suffering, Lord. Uh, I, I don't feel equipped to speak about these things, Lord, but your word is faithful to go forward with power. And so I pray, Lord, you would give me the words to say. Um, but even more than that, that you would reveal yourself that you would help us think about suffering, that you would help suffering people to um, travel through it with you. So Lord, I need you, I trust you, 
give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I, I was actually a creative writing major in college, which is an extraordinarily lucrative field if you become a New York Times best-selling author. But since I'm not, I became a pastor. Um, there's more money in it. <laughs> um, so I was a creative writing major in college, and I went to a small liberal arts school in Memphis, Tennessee. Anyone from the South? Wow, okay, cool, nice. Really surprised. Didn't think I'd have any of you around here. Anyway, uh, so I was a creative writing major, and I remember in one of our intro writing classes, we read a book called Bird by Bird by an author named Anne Lamott. Has anyone heard of Anne Lamott? Maybe a few people. You like her? Yeah, all her books. So Anne Lamott is an incredible writer. She's really funny. This book, Bird by Bird, is a combination like memoir slash writing instructional book. So she's giving advice to writers, kind of expressing to them, how do you go about being a writer? Um, I read this article. Uh, <laughs> I read this article, which I would highly recommend if you're in, in any sort of like artistic um, thing, called uh, how do I how do I say this nicely? Crappy first drafts. Except she didn't use the word crappy. Um, and this, this article, Crappy First Drafts, is basically saying whenever you make something artistic, the first draft you make will always be terrible. Always, always be terrible. And so you have to get through that. And so I really enjoyed this uh, work by Anne Lamott. And so I continued to kind of consume a lot of her writing. Uh, and what's actually interesting is she's from uh, Marin. So she's nearby. She eventually wrote a book named Help Thanks Wow. And she actually is, uh, she actually believes in God. And this book, Help Thanks Wow, is subtitled Three Essential Prayers. And so her kind of vision in this book and purpose in writing this book is to say that as believers in God or believers in whatever you believe, there are three essential prayers that you need to get through life. Help Thanks Wow. Help means help me. You know, like, ah, I'm in, I'm in desperate times. I need help. Or like, I'm trying to finish this test. Or I'm trying to finish this sermon. Help me, God. Uh, wow, or thanks, is like, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So like Stacy's saying, thank you so much, God, for how you've been faithful in dealing with PTSD. And wow, which is adoration to God, right? These are classic Christian prayers that lots of people have had uh, all throughout uh, Christian history. But as I've gotten older... And in a sense, as I read more of the Bible, um, I think that there should be a fourth category of prayer that is also essential, but this is a category of prayer that is very seldom talked about. So I think her book, if I was the editor, I mean, she's a New York Times bestselling author, so who am I to talk? And it's a, it's a great, like, she's a great writer, so who am I to talk? But um, I, would, I would argue that her, she should call her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, Why? Or, help, thanks, wow, arg. Because when you go through life, and you guys have been going through the book of Job, when you see the book of Job, and you see the questions and suffering that Job goes through, honestly, none of those prayers cut it. If you're experiencing tremendous suffering and pain and difficulty, if you're experiencing grief and the loss of someone, do help, thanks, wow, is there anything that can give language to what you're going through? 
Uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, what our uh, group has been going through in the last year, only in the last year. Um, in the last year, we had a middle school boy die of a brain aneurysm. Um, then my dad had a heart attack. And honestly, I want to thank you guys so much for the ways you've been praying for my dad, sending him notes, comforting him, uh, all of those different things. He felt so supported, and I felt so thankful to your group for like the ways that you were been um, supporting him. Uh, my dad had a heart attack. We had a youth um, who was in college, uh, pr honestly, probably one of the youth that I was closest with. Um, I had Bible study with him, worked out with him all throughout high school. Every Wednesday, we would go to a McDonald's uh, on Blossom Hill, uh, eat, he would get chicken nuggets and fries, and I would get whatever. I'd normally get a coffee or something. We would read the book of John. Uh, this youth was on a fishing trip, and he was standing on kind of like this uh, plateau, like this rock, and it was near the ocean, and a wave came up and washed him away, and he was never found. Now, can help thanks wow express the type of suffering and pain that his mom went through, that, um, that our, our church family has been going through? But it doesn't stop there. So this college student was washed away, never found. Uh, then we had one of our young adult uh, members, um, her mom passed away. And then we had one of our other youth. Um, there are two youth, so I really love. One of them is a uh, sophomore in college. The other one is a senior in high school. Um, their dad, who's in his early 50s, also had an aneurysm, and he was in a coma, and then he passed away. What, what words do you have for this? What words can express this type of pain and grieving and suffering? And that is why I would say, uh, for someone who might be going through pain and suffering, if you are, for people who are friends with or have loved ones who are going through incredible pain and suffering and loss, the book of Job is such an incredible gift. Because the book of Job asks questions that are uncomfortable. The book of Job is unflinching in gazing at in paying attention to, in thinking about the most difficult, profound questions of suffering uh, in the world. And honestly, the Bible without the book of Job, the Bible without the lament psalms, would be superficial and uh, just inadequate to cover all the different experiences and emotions of life, wouldn't it? Where would we be without the book of Job? Where would we be without the lament psalms? And so... Yeah, I mean, this is not uh, a super happy introduction, but again, you guys can blame Fred because he's the one who made me preach on this. Um, but honestly, I mean, the reason I share that with you all is just because uh, for most of my life, I honestly did not understand Lament Psalms or the Book of Job. Uh, for most of my life, I've been insulated from suffering, as many of us are in this culture, and it's not until something like this really hits you that you begin to realize how serious life is and how important it is to ask these questions of God. 
and bring them to him. Because if you don't, what happens? There are a couple of alternatives when you hit something like this. Uh, you can completely deny that life is unfair and tragic, right? And you kind of see this some of the times in Christian circles. Uh, or you could see this in like the belief in karma, for example, right? Where many Christians, especially, I mean, not, not just American evangelical Christians, but many Christians explain the suffering and tragedy of the world by saying it is always someone's fault, right? This person, bad stuff happened to them because it's their fault. They did something bad. And in the book of Job, we see his friends kind of have that theology where they say, surely you did something wrong, and that's why your children died. That's why your sheep got, like, torched. That's why all of this bad stuff happened to you, right? Um, so that's one approach that we have, but that doesn't capture it. The other approach we could have is um, to basically... Uh, I w so I, I would say, so it, it's like ignoring or sticking your head in the sand and, or it, it could be just like praising the pain away where you're just like, I'm going to pretend I'm not feeling bad. I'm feeling great. Uh, but the book of Job really gives this alternative, which is lament, which is to bring your authentic self, your pain and emotions to God and trust that he's going to respond. And so I feel really strongly about this, that wherever you are, you have experienced suffering, you will experience suffering, you know someone who's experiencing suffering and deep tragedy, do you know how to respond? Do you know how to bring this to God? Do you know how to help them walk through this? And so this is kind of where we're going in the sermon. So let me, let me go ahead and give you our points. And each one of these, I hope, can demonstrate why the book of Job is in the Bible and how the book of Job is a gift. So the first point is that God gives us permission to lament. God gives us permission to lament. The second one is that prayers of lament express our deepest longings and our response to the unfairness of life. Our deepest longings and our response to the unfairness of life. Uh, the third point is that all of our laments are answered by the person of Christ. All of our laments are answered by the person of Christ. Okay? So let's get into it. Um, first off, uh, I want you guys to think for a second about some of the, the tragedies that Job experienced. Can you go ahead and tell me some of the stuff that he went through from previous uh, sermons? Actually asking. I already said it, but I, I want you to say it again for me, okay? Get some... Uh, Sheep got torched. <laughs> All of his kids died. So he experienced financial ruin. He experienced deep loss of, like, I can't even imagine. What would it be like for all of your kids to die? I can't even imagine. Um, what else? Skin disease. Let me, okay, that's where I was going to go. Uh, he, is he was afflicted by incredibly terrible skin disease or skin diseases. So uh, let me read from you. Um, these are from two different translations. The second one is kind of a poetic uh, English translation of the book of Job that tries to capture some of the immediacy of the Hebrew language. So the first one, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with lo loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery 
with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And then let me read you a passage from our uh, text today, which is Job verse six, chapter six through ten. So Job, Fred gave me Job chapter six through chapter ten to preach on. Anyway, I'm still kind of it's it's a lot of text, so I'm only going to basically read through a few snippets of it. Um, This is the translation uh, describing Job's, Job's skin condition. My flesh crawls with maggots. My skin cracks and oozes. My days fly past me like a shuttle, and my hope snaps like a thread. So these are the tragedies that Job is experiencing. What do we learn from everything going on? What do we learn from Job's speeches and his poetry and his dialogue with his friends? We learn that God gives us permission to lament and that it's not a lack of faith. So a little bit of interesting uh, background uh, as I was uh, studying. uh, You know the Protestant Reformation? That was a thing that happened. So there were a bunch of these Lutherans after the Protestant Reformation who saw the book of Job. uh, They were actually, I I should say this in a different way. These Lutherans were embarrassed by the book of Job. And so they explained the book of Job as being an expression of God's incredible grace to peoples whose, whose faith is as weak as Job's. Did you know that? And that would be the category of Christian that says, it's, you do not have permission to lament. When you in, in experience tragedy like this, how should you respond? You respond the way Job did at the beginning. So um, there is some truth to this, and maybe in some circumstances people are able to do this, where Job said, uh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But that was before he got the skin condition. And so after he, his health was afflicted, after the devil was able to afflict him even more, uh, Job, w- Job no longer said, blessed be the name of the Lord, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Instead, he says, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash, for the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. So Job cries out. Job says, God's Arrows, his poison arrows are in me. He says, I am bitter of spirit. And he expresses this to God in the form of lament. But what does the inclusion of the book of Job mean for us? God gives us permission to lament, and even God prescribes lament. Do you know why the Lutherans are wrong? Uh, Actually, okay, I shouldn't be fair. Um, In the book of James... In the book of James, chapter 5, there's an interesting example that the author gives where he says that Job is an example of suffering and patience and steadfastness. And so it's kind of weird that they say Job is the example of like someone who doesn't have much faith when the book of James says the exact opposite. The book of James says that Job is actually exemplary in his patience, 
in the way he copes with suffering, in the way he, what, expresses his sorrow and pain and anguish to God through the form of the lament prayer. And so, have you thought for a second what significance this has for who God is as a person? Have you ever been around friends? And sorry, I'm not trying to like pick on anyone. Have you ever been around friends who you don't want to share your deepest like sadnesses and sorrows to because you're like, I don't want to impose my emotional pain on them because they can't even handle it, right? So you, you tell your like other friend who's, I don't know, like older, who's been through more suffering because this person wouldn't understand. This person, it would just kind of weigh them down and depress them or th- they become really uncomfortable. And there's even a part in um, Job in the, the passage. Okay, where's, I forgot where it is exactly. Um, it says something of the lines of uh, my, I should really find it. Oh, well. Um, I wish I could quote it better, but I forgot exactly what the thing said. Let me find it real quick. You s- okay, in Job chapter 6, verse 21, he's talking to his friends. He says, you see my calamity and you're afraid. You get that? When people, have you ever thought about this? Maybe you've been in this situation. When someone experiences death, you don't know how to be around them. You don't know what to say. You're afraid. (laughs) You're afraid of the calamity. And do you know what God telling us, prescribing us to express this lament means? God is not afraid of our anger, of our disappointment, God is not afraid when we say life is unfair. Because honestly, if you were to sum up a lot of what Job says, you could sum it up in him saying, life is unfair. Because I'm an innocent man, and yet I'm suffering like this. God is so gracious that he includes these desperate, angry, disappointed, painful words in scripture, so we have a way to talk with him and walk with him through pain and suffering. And so lament, help, thanks, wow, why, God, have you forsaken me? Help, thanks, wow, arg, God, why, why is this happening? I'm so devastated by this tragedy and suffering. And how does God respond? He includes laments in scripture so we can know God can handle it. The next thing we see about lament. Lament, Prayers of lament express our deepest longings in response to the unfairness of life. Now, what is a lament? Uh, There's one definition of lament uh, by a guy named Mark Vrogop. Mark Vrogop. It's like V-R-O-E-G-O-P. What is that, like uh, Dutch? Scandinavian? I don't know. His name is Mark Vrogop, and he says, a lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. That's a pretty good definition, right? A prayer in pain that leads to trust. Another definition would be simply a complaint to God. It's that simple. A complaint to God, where you're saying to God, you say you're good, God. You say you're in control, you're powerful, And yet, why does the world look the way it is? Why does my life look the way it is? 
Why did you allow this thing to happen? That's a, that's a lament prayer. It's a complaint to God. Um, and if you look at Job chapter 7, verse 11, he says, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Did you catch the word complain in the bitterness of my soul? This is a lament prayer. And so when we come to these things, I just want you to think, uh, in your prayer life, have you ever lamented to God? Or do you find yourself ignoring God in circumstances that are this painful? Do you know how to bring them to him? Or do you run away? And honestly, like, it makes sense that you would. Because these things are so painful, and you're afraid of how God will respond. Is God someone who, when you lament, says, yeah, but you really should trust me. You should trust me more. If you really trusted me, you wouldn't talk like that. I mean, God could say that if he wanted, but that's not how God responds. Let me keep on reading from Job chapter uh, 7, verse 13 through 19. This is Job lamenting, and we're going to see some of the longings he expresses. When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. So that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? Job is saying, you don't even give me time to swallow my spit. That is how much you are arrayed against me. That is how much I'm experiencing your attention and with God, with friends like this who needs enemies, right? This is Job expressing his lament, his confusion. Now, uh, Fred has preached in the last few weeks um, some of the things we've learned. We've learned that the book of Job is a frame narrative and we know that there is a spiritual wager going on between God and Satan in the heavens and it is the testing of Job's faith. And so Job doesn't have access to that perspective, and so therefore he incorrectly believes that God is the one who is afflicting him, when in reality we have a different perspective and we know that it's the devil, right? And so what's so amazing is God is so gracious that God allows Job to complain to him as though God was the one afflicting him. Have you ever thought about how incredible that is? God does, not, uh, God does not say, Job, you should have known better, and therefore you can't lament. He said, Job has incomplete information. He doesn't know the same thing that I know, and so I'm going to take his lament as faith. I'm going to take his lament as his best uh, attempt to make sense of and express honestly to me what's going on. And that's incredibly gracious. That's incredibly cool. And that demonstrates the graciousness of God to sufferers. Now, why might this lament, why might all of these things be so important? And what kind of longings do we see in them? What does Job really desire? Um, let's look at a few more passages. So let me tell you a few things that Job longs for. The first thing you see that Job longs for, and this is what suffering people really desire, is Job longs for a faithful friend. 
a faithful friend who will stay with him in his suffering. So let me show you uh, this. Let me, again, read you this translation. of This is a section from chapter 6. This is an English translation. My friends, and this is him responding to his friends, my friends are streams that go dry, riverbeds in the desert. In the spring they are dark with ice, swollen with melted snow, but when the summer comes, they're gone. So what is the image that Job is expressing about his friends? In his deepest suffering and pain, um, when, when things are going really well, his friends are always there for him. They always want to hang out. And they're kind of like this river in the desert. During the spring, it's, it's flowing with water. Everything's great. But then look at this. When the summer comes, they are gone. They vanish in the blazing heat. And so he's saying about his friends, you are fair weather friends. You can be with me when everything's going re- well, when I don't make you uncomfortable or afraid based on my suffering. But then when it, the stuff hits the fan, where are you? I look for you everywhere and you're not there anymore. You're too afraid of me. Or you give me all of these moralistic explanations for what's happening to me. And so Job longs for this friend. Job's longs for someone who's faithful, who's understanding, who's, who gives him this comforting presence, um, who can listen to him, someone who can understand what you're going through, someone present with you in the mess, someone who stick through you, uh, stick with you through the hard times. Uh, this makes me. This makes me think of uh, one of my other pastors named uh, Peter Fong. So Peter Fong's son is over there. Um, I I remember I graduated college with my lucrative creative writing degree, and um, I was I was working at a Christian nonprofit middle school program in East Palo Alto for a year. Uh, and I was so it's really like I was struggling a lot with depression, and I've experienced depression a decent amount in my life. Uh, so I, w- I went to my, my pastor, Peter Fong, and I'm like, Peter, I'm so depressed. Can you help me? And at this point, you would kind of expect, as a pastor, he's supposed to give you some kind of, like, wise, profound, biblical answer or, like, tell you something about God. Do you know what Peter Fong said? He said, oh, sorry, I've never been depressed, so I can't help you. And what Job wants is someone who can understand. His friends don't understand. And this is one of the most, uh, in a sense, like, horrific responses in chapter 8. So in chapter 6 and 7, Job is lamenting. In chapter 8, Bildad, the the Shuhite, answered and responds to him. Let me read this. How long will you go on ranting, filling our ears with trash? Can you imagine responding to someone suffering like this? But again, as Christians, isn't it possible that we might do this when people are suffering? Does God make straightness crooked or turn truth upside down? And then this, so honestly, like, I'm, I apologize in advance. Um, he says, your children must have been evil. He punished them for their crimes. Can you imagine what that would be like for Job? Do you imagine how wounded, how hurt betrayed Job is when someone would say something terrible like that when his kids have just passed away. And so Job longs for a friend who understands him. Job longs for a friend who can listen to him, someone who's present with him in the mess, who doesn't give you simplistic answers, simplistic moralistic answers about God. And so again, the book of Job is a gift to us 
because the book of Job accurately describes that life is not always like the book of Proverbs, where the book of Proverbs says, do good things, good things will happen to you. Follow God's wisdom, things will go well for you. Do bad stuff, bad stuff will happen to you. That is true in many cases, but in Job's case, this is an exception, and you can, and this actually just throws a huge wrench in that whole system of thinking. This means you need wisdom and discernment in applying this to people. So as a pastor, when someone is like struggling with something, I need wisdom and discernment from God, and I honestly often don't know, to say maybe there is something in this person's life that they're doing that is causing them to feel far from God. And that's, that's a very real possibility. But maybe like the book of Job, this person has done absolutely nothing wrong. They're being tested. They're being assaulted by the devil. And so all they need is a comforting presence, prayer, love, whatever it might be. But Bildad says your children must have been evil. He punished them for their crimes, which is not, not the case. It's a lie. And so you can imagine how Job longs for this perfect friend. Now, let me tell you, Jesus Christ, he fulfills the longing in Job's heart for a friend. When you look at the longings in the book of Job, the book of Job longs for a friend who is faithful, who doesn't give up when you are at your worst, who stays with you in suffering, who's willing to suffer with you. And isn't that what Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth? He suffered on the cross. He looked at sinners like us and said, I'm not going to leave you. You can say whatever you want to me. You can curse me out on the cross. You can mock me. I'm not going to leave you because I am a faithful friend, one that Job was longing for and Job was lamenting for. And so what's so incredible is when you look at the book of Job, it's like a giant question. Who will be the faithful friend to Job? When Job is lamenting, how will God answer his prayer? Now, you see this at the book of Job to some degree, how God answers his prayer. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of God's prayer. What's another longing we see in Job's perspective? Um, I, I call this one the can I talk to the manager complaint. So you go to a restaurant, food is terrible, Okay, I went to Taco Bell yesterday, and I got a cheesy gordita crunch. I don't know if, does anyone like Taco Bell? Anyway, I got a cheesy gordita crunch, and I kid you not, when I opened up my cheesy gordita crunch, it was just the soft taco shell and cheese. There was no other filling. Can anyone, like, co comprehend how crazy that is? They also, gave me a, uh, they also gave me a hard taco, so I think they wanted me to, like, assemble the cheesy gordita crunch myself by putting the hard taco inside of the... Anyway, so um, the next time I go, I took a picture, and I'm going to be like, can I talk to your manager? Because something went horribly wrong, and I want to speak to who's in charge. And this is, honestly, Job's lament. And he says this. This is Job chapter 9, verse 22 through 24. He says, it is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. God just destroys everyone. The blameless, the wicked, he doesn't care. He destroys them all. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the face of its judges. If it is not he, who then is it? And so Job is saying, whoever is in charge here, he is making a royal mess of this world. 
Things are so incredibly unfair. And if it's not God who's in charge, who's in charge? Show me the manager so I can talk to them. Now, we have all of scripture that testifies to us. We can understand a little bit better than Job could because, number one, we have the frame narrative. We have chapter 1 and 2 at the beginning of Job. But also, when you look at the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 5, there's a verse where it says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Did you ever consider that? Um, uh, I know that Garden City is uh, reformed, correct? And I think maybe Quicksilver is also part of the reformed network. So um, did you consider that within the, within the sovereignty of God, still, 1 John says, who has the power in this world? The devil. Isn't that interesting? So that doesn't deny God's sovereignty, but it does say that God is not the one in charge. And there are lots of different passages where it says this. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that the world is carried along by the prince of the power of the air. And that basically means the devil is the one who's like, you know, who's the puppet master, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, there, Paul talks about how we have to wait until all things are subject to him, to God, which means that things are not yet all subject to God. When you look at the Lord's Prayer, it says, what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means that on earth, it is not the case that God's will is always being done by people, right? Is that fair? Am I being like heretical or like, messing with your theology. I'm, I'm sorry if I am. We could talk about it later. Um, but honestly, this actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? God is basically saying, I'm having this wager with the devil, and I'm honestly leaving him in charge in many ways. Because everything that the devil do does, God repurposes that for our good. And in some mysterious way, God will make things even better than they were if God didn't let the devil be in charge temporarily. That's disturbing. That's weird to think about, but that's what scripture says. And so that's where I'm just describing what's there, and hopefully you can reflect on it and try to make sense of it. So Job longs for this answer. If it's not God in charge, if God's not the manager, then who is? And what's so incredible is when Jesus came to the earth, we learned that God is not, um, God is not completely in charge in some ways that doesn't deny his meticulous sovereignty and providence, okay? Um, so Jesus actually says, like, the, the hour of darkness is here, or, like, he, he says when he's going to the cross that the devil is the one who's kind of orchestrating this, right? Yet at the same time, God is the one who ordained Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And so this, there's this mysterious tension between the activity of the devil and the activity of God, but, all, but Job, what Job needed to know, it was the devil. The devil was the one who was shooting him with the arrows, the poisonous arrows. The devil was the one who was causing maggots to crawl in his flesh and his skin to ooze and all of this terrible stuff. And so it's not God's fault in some sense. Job longs for God to vindicate himself, to defend himself. And God did that by sending Jesus, where Jesus was the one who experienced the arrows of the devil against him. And so he can understand when we go through that. He's sympathetic and understanding. And then finally, we see that Job longs for someone to be an arbiter. If you look at 
chapter 9, verse 28 through 33, I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hands on us both. Isn't that a beautiful verse in light of, the, of Jesus Christ? Job longs for someone who can help him understand God. Job longs for someone who can advocate between him and God because God is so majestic. God is so powerful and incomprehensible to Job, and Job has no clue what he's doing. Job is like, God, you're like a human, and I'm like an ant. There's no way I can understand what you're up to. I need someone who I can, like, understand, who can explain to me what God is like who can plead my case before God. And do you know who Jesus Christ was? In 1 John, it says he is our advocate. He is the arbiter. He is the one who comes before us and says, when you're going through this pain and suffering and you can't comprehend what, is God, what God is doing, you can know that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the one who expresses God's perfect character and his love. And not only that, the way that God feels about us when we suffer, when we grieve. Because when Jesus was on this earth, how did he respond to pain and suffering? Did he say, uh, you should have, um, you should trust God, you person who has leprosy. Or you blind man? Oh, well, I mean, it's God's, it's God's will, like, just trust God, you know? I mean, he says, he's, sometimes he says stuff like that. But what he also does is he grieves when Lazarus dies. He grieves. That's really weird, right? Because he knows he's going to resurrect him. And that demonstrates the heart of God for us in our suffering. Even though our suffering is temporary, even though we know, as Stacy said, we know the end of the story where Jesus comes back. Yet still, Jesus Christ expresses the character of God. Jesus Christ expresses how God mourns and weeps with us in our, even our temporary suffering. That's what Jesus did. And so Jesus is the arbiter that our laments express a longing for. And then we know the, the great end of the story where in Revelation it says, he will wipe every single tear from your eyes. And so in this, in this waiting period, in this already and not yet, the world is under the power of the evil one. This is where we live. And so there will be terrible suffering and tragedy and difficulty. And yet in our suffering, what does God give, give us? He gives us Jesus Christ who answers the longing of our hearts and Jesus Christ can respond to us and comfort us in our suffering. And so there are so many, there are so many, many wonderful truths I want to say about Jesus um, and how he meets our deepest longings. Uh, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. As Christians, has anyone ever told you that? Many people tell you, Help, thanks, wow. You know, like just everything will be great. You'll prosper. God, the Christians are the winners, right? Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Do you expect that? Do you realize that? Are you stealing yourself for the trouble that you will experience in this world for the tragedy? I never understood this until this last year, really, in a deep kind of like intuitive, gut, visceral way. I always thought like I'm invincible. Everyone around me is invincible. It's all great, you know? 
But being part of an older church, seeing tragedy, it changes you. And so instead, you understand when Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but he doesn't end there. He says, um, take heart for I have overcome the world. Peace I leave with you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world leaves do I leave with you. Jesus Christ answers the longings of our lament. And ultimately, he will come back and set us completely free where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Um, how can we apply this? Um, very simply, uh, be brave and bring your pain to God through prayer. And then be patient. Because things don't end, like when you look at the book of Job, do, do you ever like look at the, per, the per percentages? It's like all the way till the end, near, nearly the end of chapter 30, um, it is all Job just sitting in his pain. And sometimes it feels like that's how long God takes before he responds. But I would say we have something even better than Job. We have the Holy Spirit, the counselor who Jesus gives us, who um, promises us that he will comfort us. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. And so I would be really hopeful if you pray help, thanks, wow, arg, if you pray the arg prayer, God will respond. And I've really experienced that in the last year where I've lamented, I've cried more than I have in a long time, and yet the thing that really gets me through and that gets our church through is honestly nothing but the presence of Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, God giving you a sense of him being with you to get you through. And he answers, he does that in response to not just our happy prayers, not just our happy emotions, but our laments. So would you consider if you are going through pain and suffering, um, pray to him, bring that to him. If you know someone going through pain and suffering, don't be like Job's friends, but be present with them. Try to be faithful to them, pray for them, and pray that God would comfort them. Because that's more, that's more comfort than any of us could possibly give. Yet at the same time, God can use our presence and our friendship to be faithful friends to people who are going through suffering. Uh, I praise God for the book of Job. I praise God for how he gives us permission to lament, how he gives language to our longings that we all have, and how he answered our laments by sending Jesus Christ to be our arbiter to be the one who understands and sympathizes with us, with us and even weeps with us in our pain. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I pray, Lord, for us uh, who are going through trouble, who are going through suffering and grieving, that your healing hand, your comforting presence, the love and grace and counsel of your Holy Spirit would be comforting us in affliction and reorienting us towards you I pray that we would be courageous in not running from you in suffering, but praying to you and even complaining to you in our suffering. And we would have amazing stories of how you respond. But even when you don't and we experience disappointment, I pray you would be refining our faith and helping us trust you. I pray you would use your word to speak to us this coming week and you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.